Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. In addition to almost every other aspect of life, COVID-19 has had an impact on migration. Dr. Andre Korobkov, a professor of political science and international relations, is the co-author of a report that chronicles the ways the pandemic has affected the transition of people from their homelands to other lands. Korobkov and his colleague, Dr. Dmitry Politeev of the Russian Academy of Sciences, made several interesting discoveries, and we'll explore them after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. When a new state law takes effect January 1st, some MTSU students will be able to say proudly that they were part of a worthy cause. Students in Alan Campbell's Spanish translation class worked on the training script for the YWCA's Sheer Haven Initiative. This online training program will teach cosmetologists how to recognize signs of domestic violence. The law, which the Tennessee General Assembly passed in April 2021, will require applicants for natural hairstyling, cosmetologist, barber, and manicuring licenses and certificates, as well as instructor licenses for barbers and cosmetologists, to take the one-hour course either online or in person beginning in the new year. The students worked on the translation and subtitles. By the end of the year, they hope to have completed the audio dubbing with native Spanish speakers. And John Hood, director of the university's government and community affairs, former legislator, marketer, personnel director, broadcaster, and U.S. Army veteran, is the guest on the final episode of Storytellers, the television interview program he hosted for 10 years. The final Storytellers premiered December 6th and airs throughout the month on City TV. Hood devoted decades of service to Murfreesboro and Rutherford County, where he was born in 1931, educated in Murfreesboro schools, worked and raised a family. He only left Middle Tennessee to serve his country in the U.S. Army at Fort Knox and Fort Devens from 1954 to 1956. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. The pandemic's toll on employers' ability to find qualified workers is not limited to the United States, as we find out now in the second part of our two-program interview with Dr. Andre Korobkov. Andre, what is Russia's policy on migration, and what economic and other factors drive it? Uh, Russia is a strange case. Uh, it falls into many categories in terms of immigrant countries' classification. Of course, we know historically about Russia as a highly closed country that did not allow people to either live freely or uh, come to uh, that country. And then it changes. The Soviet Union collapses in 1991. Russia is surrounded by uh, its former periphery, 14 newly independent states. Uh, and there were two stages as in case uh, of any other uh, post-imperial dissolution. Uh, say British, French, uh, German, Turkish, and so on. Uh, well, first, Russians and Russian speakers are moving to Russia because they're afraid of discrimination, of the loss of status in newly independent states. And then it's followed by a massive movement of uh, uh, citizens, natives of uh, these former Soviet republics who come to Russia to work. And the number of uh, um, migrants overall in the Russian territory now uh, exceeds uh, 12 million. These are people who came to live in Russia permanently. 
primarily from the post-Soviet states. Uh, but increasingly, uh, Russia becomes a hub for labor market, uh, for labor mar migrants who come to work temporarily. And increasingly, these are not only post-Soviet republics, primarily in Central Asia, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, but also some other states. For example, uh, Chinese labor migration, uh, uh, well, proliferates we can expect uh, an influx of uh, migrants from Afghanistan uh, for both political and other reasons. And uh, uh, there are permanently between two and uh, four million uh, labor migrants in the Russian territory. Russia introduced a number of uh, limitations last year uh, and it has uh, hit its labor market. The number of migrants has declined. The amount of transfers has, uh, uh, well, remittances uh, by migrants from Russia has also been cut. And uh, in some cases it has created labor shortages. So uh, Russia, whether it wants or it or not, will uh, uh, have to, uh, well, increase the uh, number of labor migrants uh, in its territory in the foreseeable future. As it is the case in the United States, a number of major receiving countries like Germany, uh, immigration um, is a touchy issue. Politicians like to play it. Uh, most of the migrants coming are uh, from Central Asia. That means they are Muslims. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it creates tensions in some cases, but uh, in general, uh, it is absolutely clear that uh, migrant labor is necessary in Russia, uh, well, to support its economic activity. Uh, and increasingly, even though this is the topic that is not that willingly being discussed, uh, say by a political establishment, it is also an issue of uh, demographic dy dynamics. Uh, without migrants, Russia will continue to lose population and will do it uh, um, pretty quickly. And therefore, uh, well, there is essentially no, no escape uh, for us in this sense. In the United States, the country of traditional immigration, uh, until quite recently, population was growing roughly by 3 million a year. Of those 2 million represented the natural growth. That means the excess of the number of births over, over the number of deaths. One third, 1 million, uh, were migrants that were coming to the United States. Of those, about two-thirds were uh, legal migrants and about one-third were the undocumented migrants. And uh, at present, any country that uh, wants to retain high levels of economic growth and wants to uh, retain its uh, uh, well position uh, in terms of its population size, uh, well, needs to bring in migrants. Uh, and uh, there is no alternative in the United States, there is no alternative in Germany, there is no alternative in Russia. Uh, what is interesting, what people usually don't realize is China, with its giant population exceeding uh, 1 billion people, 
uh, is uh, facing a demographic crisis uh, due to its uh, one-child policy for many years, uh, while China has uh, faced uh, declining uh, population growth rates and quick, quickly increasing share of uh, older people uh, in the uh, retirement ages, ages in the population. And the paradox is that China with all its giant population will very soon will become one of the major countries of immigration. And it might include not only labor immigration, but also immigration for demographic reasons. Uh, and therefore, uh, well, uh, here is a paradox. Um, well, many, uh, countries, many political movements, uh, well, take anti-immigrant stances. They uh, uh, think that uh, states have to prevent immigration. But in reality, there is an increasing competition uh, on the international labor mar market uh, for migrants. First of all, qualified ones, but uh, in general, uh, at stake is not only, uh, well, labor, at stake is also, uh, well, the uh, size of the population. And uh, therefore, immigration will remain a, a, a very controversial topic, and it will always be present as one of the major issues, both uh, within countries and uh, on the international scale. We'll take a break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We now return to our discussion with Dr. Andre Korobkov, a professor of political science and international relations on MTSU On the Record. How are the other former Soviet republics faring in terms of migration? Well, initially, all uh, former Soviet republics, except for three Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, were losing um, migrants to Russia. They all were going there. Right now, uh, we see that some uh, countries, uh, due to economic growth, uh, stabilization, uh, are uh, competing with Russia uh, while bringing in uh, labor migrants. For example, Kazakhstan, Belarus at some uh, well, uh, stages. And we also see that some migrant flows are being redirected. For example, in case of Ukraine, uh, Georgia, uh, to some extent Armenia, Moldova, uh, they, uh, their uh, well, uh, population increasingly uh, travels to the West, uh, to, uh, first of all, to Western Europe, and uh, looking for opportunities there. Uh, 
Uh, yet there uh, arrive new flaws. I already have mentioned the Chinese. We can uh, expect at least some flaws from Afghanistan, uh, North Korea, uh, some other countries. So um, the uh, map of migrations is uh, quickly evolving and uh, there will uh, emerge new, uh, new uh, roads. Yet in general, what can we say? Essentially, the post-Soviet states fall apart into two blocks. Uh, on the one hand, these are uh, predominantly Christian states in which population is quickly uh, declining and respectively, they are facing a demographic crisis, not only a labor crisis. And the number of states in Central Asia, first of all, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, uh, which have excessive population that cannot be employed. Uh, and uh, uh, they act as major source countries of migration. Turkmenistan falls also into this category, but the local authoritarian government still does not uh, well uh, welcome its people in terms of migrating abroad and, uh, uh, well, bringing money among other things uh, back, uh, lowering pressure on the labor market. They prefer to retain control over their population, even though people don't have uh, many employment opportunities. So uh, the uh, countries of the post-Soviet region diversify right now. And the situation there is very different, but Russia continues to serve as a major immigration hub along with Germany and Europe, uh, the United States and Canada, uh, well, and the Gulf states. And as I mentioned, there are other uh, countries that we usually don't perceive as such, but also, well, uh, sick population, sick labor, for example, oil producing countries and, well, some other states having particular resources, uh, but not having significant uh, population and labor reserves. Dr. Andrei Korobkov is our guest. He's a professor of political science and international relations who has been studying migration for many, many years. And he's the co-author of a report about the way the COVID-19 pandemic has affected migration around the world. Is the old canard, Andre, about economically insecure people blaming migrants for taking jobs away from them universal as opposed to just being American? We've heard it in America for years and years. Yes, of course. It uh, always happens. Uh, and, uh, well, we all know that yet in 19th century, uh, there were movements, uh, including the Know Nothing Party, that uh, were opposing immigration, uh, while in different groups were perceived as a threat at different times. Say in 19th century, the uh, Irish, the Italians, the Jews. Uh, in the 20th century, we had a very long period when immigration was limited severely first, and second uh, was uh, racially and ethnically defined. So only in 1965, uh, these uh, uh, quotas were eliminated and new criteria were introduced. And yes, uh, this has led to a tremendous change in the structure of, uh, uh, well, immigrant flaws. Before 1965, 90% of migrants were coming from Europe. After 1965, 90% of migrants are coming not from Europe. 
and respectively, immigration became a mechanism of very quick change of the ethnic, racial, religious composition of the U.S. population that has led uh, in the long run to, uh, well, uh, tensions. And uh, uh, Donald Trump has skillfully played this card in 2016, promising to change uh, immigration policy and to uh, protect the traditional majority. Um, but as we have said, yes, he introduced a number of significant uh, uh, restrictory measures uh, that went well beyond uh, uh, what he uh, even promised initially. But uh, uh, in 2020, he did not play. And uh, uh, other issues were at stake. And uh, well, Trump was defeated. Biden has promised a very liberal immigration agenda. Uh, I'm not sure he was going to fulfill his promises to the left of his own party. Uh, yet uh, some measures were tried, such as the uh, well liberalization on the Mexican border. It has led to a new crisis, and it can lead. We'll see, but it can lead to the return of immigration uh, as a hot political topic in 2022, maybe, but for sure in 2024. But is that attitude that migrants are coming to take our jobs away from us as universal? Do people feel that way abroad as deeply and intensely as the workforce in the United States seems to feel it? Uh, there are four major blocks uh, on the basis of which immigration can be opposed in different countries. First, the socioeconomic ones that you mentioned. Uh, and usual claims are migrants take our jobs first. Second, migrants lower salaries because they increase competition. And third, migrants create pressure on welfare systems because, well, they, they come to public health care facilities, they uh, uh, don't pay all the taxes, uh, especially if they're illegals, uh, while well, the kids go to school and so on and so forth. Uh, well, calculations show that uh, um, the impact of migrants is relatively small because they usually take jobs that others uh, would not take under any conditions. And we see it now when migrants have withdrawn, there emerged shortages that were not filled, for example, in kitchens or uh, restaurants and so on. Uh, second block uh, is uh, related to uh, national security. Claim that migrants, uh, well, among migrants, especially undocumented migrants coming uh, are members of uh, extremist groups, terrorist groups. Uh, and in the US already at the beginning of the 20th century, limitations started to be introduced, for example, on the leftists that they were referred to as anarchists at that time. Uh, well, currently we know that there is an apprehension in regard to potential members of uh, various Islamist groups. And President Trump has introduced immediately a ban on immigration from a number of Muslim countries. The third block, uh, uh, well, concerns, uh, well, personal security, claim that migrants 
uh, increase uh, crime rates, uh, well, uh, are engaged in criminal activities. Uh, well, statistics show something interesting. It shows that uh, uh, migrants become victims of uh, uh, crime more frequently than uh, the population, especially if they're undocumented migrants. They are in a gray zone. And what is interesting, President Reagan, of all presidents, uh, in 1986, he has signed into law immigration amnesty uh, while uh, paroling, uh, paroling uh, 2.7 out of 6 million undocumented migrants that existed in the US at that time. And his reasoning, among others, was I don't want any uh, people uh, to be in the US in the gray zone. If you are undocumented, uh, well, it's a real threat to society and to you because you don't exist for the law. And he, uh, well, signed uh, this immigration reform into law, the first and the last essentially real immigration amnesty in the US history. And it was Reagan, of all presidents. Uh, and the fourth uh, block is the most probably important and the least talked about. It's a fear that uh, migrants, their influx would change the ethnic, racial, cultural, linguistic, religious, and so on composition of the population. And that's the card that Trump played. And he started to talk about illegal immigration, but everybody understood that he was talking about immigration in general. In, uh, in reality, not even about immigration, but the changing structure of the US population. And he said, well, I will protect, uh, well, and secure the existing structure. Uh, and it, it worked in 2016. Again, Trump was the first one who was able to put immigration at the uh, center of uh, the electoral campaign. Uh, and uh, will it come back? I think there is a pretty good chance that it will come back, uh, especially if Biden is not careful. And, uh, uh, well, compromises with the extreme left too much. It, it might, uh, uh, um, well, have the re reverse effect and uh, uh, lead to the results just opposite to what, uh, well, people on the left are hoping for. We'll take another break. We'll be right back. This is MTSU on the Record. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Since migration is a focal point of Dr. Andrei Korobkov's work, we wanted to know what he believes other scholars can learn in their research using the report he co-authored. 
what sorts of related research avenues would you like to see academics perform using your study as sort of a jumping off point? Well, uh, uh, what is interesting, the study uh, gave results that uh, are in general positive. It has shown that uh, immigration uh, decline was temporary. It has shown that remittance flows ret uh, were retained generally. It has uh, clearly shown the importance of immigration and labor immigration for economies and the demographic situation in major receiving countries. And uh, uh, in general, uh, there were not drastic uh, negative changes in public opinion. So there were no kind of extremist, uh, uh, well, uh, movements that were aggressively uh, acting, moving against uh, uh, immigrants, uh, the uh, polls did not show a significant increase in uh, migrant phobia. And uh, uh, the results that we have uh, got were better than we have expected. And I think this, uh, this is a very good uh, signal uh, that can uh, lead to the uh, change of perception by business first and second governmental policies in regard to immigration of at least specific groups of migrants. First of all, qualified uh, migrants and uh, health healthcare personnel. We know that in the United States especially, uh, there are numerous obstacles not related to immigration specifically. Uh, if you are a healthcare professional, you have to pass through very tough examinations to join, uh, to rejoin the profession uh, after you immigrate. Uh, there are such obstacles in a number of other countries, and we know that um, they are moving ahead of the United States in this sense. They are. Uh, liberalizing their immigration legislation, at least in regards to a number of uh, highly qualified professional groups. Dr. Andre Korobkov has been our guest. The report is called International Migration in Pandemic Times Disrupted Links, Remittances, and Migrantophobia. And you can find it at Valdai Club, V A L D A I Club.com. That's the website of the Valdai Discussion Club. You can read it there or download it there. Andre, thanks for being our guest today on MTSU on the Record. Thank you. We'll be right back. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. 
NTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Randy Weiler has the middle moment. MTSU's College of Basic and Applied Sciences helps bring research by doctoral students to a broader audience through a three-minute video contest. Associate Professor Holly Spooner explains 3MT at MT. The purpose of the three-minute thesis is to essentially allow the students an opportunity to condense down the research that they do into a three-minute speech or presentation that is designed for basically a lay audience. The students have to to really be able to narrow down what's the take-home message of their research, how it relates to broader society. There, there was no limit on, on that other than being a part of CBAS, so there was a, a really good diversity in the presentations. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.